What is up, folks? If you are a frequent listener of the Repertoire Podcast and you didn't know that I had an industry newsletter under the same name, this is a monologue from the Repertoire Newsletter. I write it every single week, and it serves as almost like a playground for me to play around with ideas, kick the ball around on something that I've either been reading or connecting the dots on, and this is in relation to a concept that I am calling time spent versus value provided. I give some credit to authors and thought leaders that I credit during this post. I don't know read and release these monologues in this way, but I figured this could be a fun experiment if you end up throwing this on while you're prepping on your commute or just doing chores around the house and this provides some value and you would like to see more of these, please tweet at me, send me an Instagram DM, send me an email, and definitely subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already because these come out every single week. It's linked in the description of this podcast. But for now, I'm just going to go ahead and start reading this piece titled Time Spent Versus Value Provided. This one goes out to the restaurant and or food and beverage owners slash operators out there. When you present something to a guest and you say, this is a four-day preparation, or you say, we spent three days making this, or you go on some long diatribe and you say, this was aged for two years, my question is, how disappointing is it to receive that as a spiel when you're in the guest shoes, only to have it be indistinguishable from something normal? James Clear had a great quote. He says, quote, the world rewards you for value provided, not time spent. End quote. And I've been thinking about that a lot this week in an effort to help you folks find more success and personally contemplate where the industry is heading. It's easy to thrust time out on the stage as the star of the show, right? It's objective, it's trackable, it's easy to put in relation to things. You might hear people say, they only age their ducks for seven days, ours age for 14. Hospitality professionals often fail to account for what is actually valuable to the receiving end of their work, aka the customers and the guests. If you ask most chefs or line cooks why guests come to their restaurant over the one down the street, most will probably comment something about the long menu structure, or a time-intensive signature dish, or the speed of their service, how fast are they able to pump out food. And considering they have a close proximity to, and take a lot of justified pride in, the food, they will obviously lead with that as the main value prop. In reality, though, what I find is that guests get massive value from everything else the restaurant does. So you might hear guests talk about the fact that they didn't have to do dishes tonight. You curated a menu for them. They just get to pick what sounds good. That seems pretty valuable. Maybe they find value in the fact that they got to get dressed up and just get out of the house tonight. Maybe they relish in the fact that you offered a great food and beverage experience, which is outside their normal of just ordering food for delivery and having to sit and eat it at home without any sort of nice ceramics or silverware or the bar vibe or the music or the wood tones in your space. Maybe the fact that you make allergy modifications, which allows them to bring their loved ones to the restaurant comfortably, the ones with the restrictions, and they get to have a great experience. That's so valuable to certain folks. Notice the time you spent braising your short ribs has no impact on any of these details. This becomes increasingly important when you hear this quote from author Corey Mintz, he's a previous podcast guest, where he says, quote, Chefs should take their 30-item menu and cut it down to 16. Outsource some of those things that you have been too prideful to admit that you don't need to make yourself. End quote. And he's talking about two processes here, both of which, ironically, require time investments. That's why I think a lot of people don't end up doing this. Step one involves applying an essentialism mindset to what you're offering and ruthlessly editing out what doesn't get you excited or isn't selling. That is relatively straightforward. And the second one I'm arguing for in this piece, that's the outsourcing. So what would it look like if you were to support a small local bakery by getting your bread made by them instead of making it in-house? 
What if you were to call up your friend who owns a pasta place and negotiate with them a weekly order of tagliatelle or extruded pasta from them instead of having one of your line cooks spend two and a half hours a day on it? What if you were able to get a high-quality butcher to make the pate that you serve on your appetizer menu and proudly feature them as a purveyor partner on your menu or in your guest spiels? Now, I know what you're thinking. It's going to be different from what I make now, Justin. And I know. That's the point. Of course you make it differently than they do. But that doesn't mean that you can't do the work to, again, invest in this, to collaboratively work with them, to land on a spec for that item and buy it from them wholesale. You can also take it beyond just buying it. You can garnish it differently. You can serve it in a unique way. You can also use it as a base to a recipe that you still finish yourself. Anybody who's made pasta farce knows what I'm talking about. This obsession with everything being made in the four walls of the business is rooted in a lot of good intentions, in my opinion. You've got quality control, differentiation, proximity to the process, customization, uniqueness. I completely get it. You're talking to a guy who was asked to create a bread program from scratch at my last restaurant position. It's wildly satisfying and super fun to do. I took a lot of pride in it as well. But if that practice comes at the expense of the length of your work week or your labor costs or your profit margin or other details that the guest actually values, it doesn't seem worth it to me. Think about it like this. Entrepreneur Layla Hormozy has a framework where she shares, and I'm paraphrasing here, quote, every time I fail to delegate something that one of my team members could do, I'm robbing them from an opportunity to learn and grow, end quote. Chances are you've never even asked if you can get your mushroom powder infused extruded pasta made from that pasta place. But what if it wasn't so looked down upon to ask that question? They get more revenue, you get to save time. I'd consider that just great skill task alignment. How different would our industry look if there were trusted partners in pasta, stock, bread, fermentation, the list goes on, and they were all given opportunities to build businesses off the back of what you need. To me, this is a happy medium of people who are suggesting that everything becomes dumbed down or watered down or diluted. Everybody gets to do what they do best. And then you, as the restaurant owner, can lean into what you do best by providing a great guest experience and the entire pie grows in your community. On top of that, it allows folks that are obsessed with like the craft of making pasta to be employed at that pasta place that focuses on quality and consistency without the pace or push of a restaurant. And they might not want that. Marcus from the Bear comes to mind. Yes, I've seen all of your comments on that episode's video. Listen, if the last few years has taught us anything, it's that making more stuff in-house isn't a guaranteed path to better guest experiences, higher profit margins, or or more motivated slash fulfilled teams. I suppose what I'm suggesting here is a different type of structure. It sounds complicated because the last 10 years of restaurants has become incredibly tangled and convoluted, and I think we've been incentivizing the wrong things. And personally, I want to see it get better. That's why I'm writing about this. I kind of see it being similar to how us humans used to live in tribes. We were all kind of together. Then we made the move to becoming hyper-individualistic. Everybody was on their own, fight for themselves. And now we're seeing the rise in popularity that happened in the pandemic of compound style living. Everybody's coming back together. And I think the same could be possible for food and beverage businesses. Let's talk about taking action. One change I plan on making is to not judge or diminish a restaurant's product if it comes from a place they're proud to partner with. In fact, I want to applaud it if it's done well, and I plan to do so in things like this place called episodes or inside of podcast interviews if someone shouts it out. Notice this doesn't give the Willows Inn's Costco chicken a pass either. Rather, it removes the stigma that folks will get ostracized or labeled as not being legit. 
legit if they increase their outsourcing in their business. Other businesses do it all the time, and I think we should too. How cool would it be to see the rise in popularity of trusted prep partners who take some load off of the restaurant's prep lists, mental load, and their walk-ins? I'm very aware that this exists in large restaurant groups, but why isn't it available for the single location restaurant, ultimately the places that need that help the most? If you folks know of places that do this well or where this structure exists, please share the website or contact info of the operator because I want to interview them for the pod. If you end up taking action on your business after reading this, please let me know, again, whether responding to the email newsletter, sending me an Instagram or a screenshot on Twitter. I would love to know how you use this insight. That has been this week's monologue for the Repertoire newsletter. After this point in the newsletter, I go on to share my favorite industry stories, as well as our take on what's happening inside of the hospitality industry so that you folks can get a varied perspective, as well as sharing gear discounts, individual pieces of content that you might have missed that we've published throughout the week as kind of a weekly digest, my favorite comments that you folks have shared on content that we've published, and more. If you want to subscribe, it gets sent out every single week. It's absolutely free, and you'll find the link in the description of this podcast. Thanks so much, as always, for your attention. My name is Justin Kana with Repertoire, and I hope you have a good one.